Thank you for tuning in to Living Life with Purpose, a ministry of Florida Bible Church in Miramar, Florida. At Florida Bible, we believe that life is preparation for eternity and hope this message will be an encouragement and blessing to you. More information about Florida Bible can be found at www.floridabible.org. Good morning, Florida Bible. I see that you're in a very reserved kind of feeling today here. Oh, that's great. How exciting. It was exciting to listen to you praise and worship the Lord today. Uh, we're going to finish our series that we started several weeks ago on the, the, the category and the, this idea that it's no big deal of how we live life. It's no big deal what we believe. You know, this was an important series for this reason. Christians tend to vastly underestimate how active God wants to be in our lives. You know, most of us are pretty humble about ourselves, and we know that we're no one special, and I certainly know that I'm no one special, and most of you probably feel the same way, and in reality we aren't, except that the Holy Spirit lives in us. And God can take ordinary, common men and women like you and me, and do extraordinary things with us, and that's what He wants to do. That's His plan for His family, those of us who trusted Jesus Christ. And so it's important for us to understand that He will take us places that we wouldn't normally go. He will do things with us that we can't even imagine. But understand this, God loves you, God has a plan for you, and He can do things with you that you would never imagine. Now today, we're going to reach out to our Muslim friends. And in doing so, we are really honored to have with us today a couple who is no stranger to Florida Bible Church. They've been missionaries that we've supported for many years. And they're going to come out and we're going to do things a little bit different today. If you're a guest, uh, uh, this is not our normal format, but we like to change things up here at Florida Bible so that it keeps it interesting. And we're going to just kind of have, a, have almost like a talk today and a, and a discussion, a panel discussion on the, the religion of Islam. Now, at a certain point, there's going to be a phone number that comes up and you can take your smartphone and you can text a question in that you might want to answer. And i got to tell you, in none of the service have we been able to get to all the questions. And what we'll try to do is we'll try to put some of the answers to the questions on our website later in the week and you can go back and, and get answers to that. But I don't want to spend any more time because it Every group so far has really, really enjoyed what has happened. It's been very interesting. And so I want you to give a good Florida Bible Church welcome to Juan and Rose Cardenas. Now, Juan and Rose have worked with Muslim people for, for many, many, many years. In fact, uh, they have lived in Afghanistan under the Taliban before the, the first war and the Taliban was, was casted out. They've been in Pakistan. They've been in many different places serving this community. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about what their beliefs are. We're going to try to go that fairly rapidly because uh, Islam is the classic works religion. And what I mean by that is you get to paradise, they call it, rather than heaven, by works. And that's what it's all about. It's not about grace. It's not about the cross. It's not about salvation. It's not about forgiveness. It's all about working, how well you do in this life, and earning points that will get you into paradise. Now, in that, they have five pillars of faith that they tend to follow in order to accumulate this, this point so that they can be welcomed into paradise. And I'm going to turn it over to Juan and Rose and let them explain to you because they're really the subject matter experts and live the lifestyle. And so tell us all, all about, a little bit about Islam. Well, first we want to thank you so much uh, for being a part of our ministry. We thank you for having us here. And um, uh, one of the things that we live in countries that have been very restrictive, like uh, Pakistan and of course Afghanistan. Let me, let me pause. Is your mic on? I, I don't think it is. Is it? 
Let me see. Because this is too important. There we go. All right, we're, I think, good now. Try that. How's that? Oh, let me flip the button the other way. <laughs> Try that. How's that? There we go. Now you can hear me. All right. All right. <laughs> Uh, technical difficulties here. But anyway, we, we've lived in, in, uh, in countries that have been highly restricted, and we lived also in, uh, in Europe. Uh, we were up in Scotland. We uh, lived in Spain. And, and our ministry has always been uh, focused on working among Muslim people. And one of the things that um, uh, I believe that you've received, if you look in the, on the, your website in the church, uh, there's this thing about the demographic and of the, of the growth of Islam around the world and also here in North America. And uh, one of the things that, uh, when we lived in a restricted countries, uh, we, we, of course, we, we, we were very restricted in, in sharing our faith uh, with Muslim people and handing them tracts or giving them Bibles. While we were living in Spain, uh, we had a great openness uh, to reach Muslim people. I would, we would, sp- you know, we'd go to their homes. Uh, I would spend uh, in the evenings. I, I spend time in the cafes, drink, uh, drinking tea, and uh, uh, talking to uh, Muslims about what they believe and, and about our faith. And uh, we, we have this openness here in this country. You have really no restriction. And a lot of times there's things that we fear. And, and I believe a lot of things that we fear are things that we don't understand. And a lot of the information that we get about Islam is information that's been fed to us, whether it's by the media or something we read on the internet or maybe a book that we've read. And uh, some of these things create more walls. And it, it's the understanding that in uh, John, in First John, uh, it talks about fear, and it talks about um, the, um, uh, that love casts away fear. And, and I, I believe the more we understand about Islam, uh, the less fear we have. And, and it's, when you, you know, if you grew up here, we, Rose and I grew up here in South Florida, and uh, there's, sometimes we're fearful, so what do we do? We, we, we put uh, steel bars uh, in our windows and our doors uh, to keep people, the bad people out. Uh, but when we understand in sharing our faith with Muslim people is breaking down those fear and reaching out to love. So we're not building walls, we're not building steel cages. What we're doing is we're breaking these things down and going to them with, with God's power and, and with God's uh, love. Uh, and it's a great opportunity that we have. And, and one of the things that we want to do this, this morning is uh, give you a, 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 a basic understanding in Islam and then we're going to look at some areas that we want to share, how we can share our faith and again, you don't have to be, an, uh, some of the things we're going to share here, you don't have to be an Islamic scholar or a missionary. Uh, you, you don't have to uh, re- even read the Quran. Some people say, well, before I'm going to share my faith, I, I want to know more. And that's okay, but you don't really have to read the Quran to understand the Muslim faith. And, and you're going to see by the end what we mean uh, by that. But uh, first, you know, we... we I want to look at, at some of the areas, and as the pastor said, it is a religion that looks, <clears throat> it doesn't look inwardly, it looks outwardly. Uh, it's not what you think, uh, or some of the actions that you do, moral or immoral, but as long as you keep some of these, or all of these practices that we're going to look up here. And as we look up here, uh, the five pillars. Your batteries went dead. Ah. Pull your thing in. <laughs> Technical problem. Rose, why don't you talk about the Shahada? Okay. Uh, The Shahada is the creed. And Muslims believe that anyone who says the Shahada is a Muslim. 
So they will try to get other people to say this just because that is one simple indication that someone is a Muslim. And the creed says that there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is the messenger of God. This is this, the, the faith of Islam in a nutshell. Very simple. They have two main issues. That God is the only God and in, in Islam uh, God's name is Allah and that Muhammad is his prophet or the messenger of God. And this is, actually, this is actually the doorway into Islam, right? By saying this creed is how you become a Muslim. That's it, correct. It, it's yes. correct. And, and many times, uh, some of the, our Muslim friends, when we would uh, go to their home, uh, they would say, say the shahadat, say the creed, and you will become a Muslim. That's all it takes, is just for you to say this creed. Mm-hmm. And moving along, remember, there's five pillars. The second one, and now the two, the creed and the salat is the prayer. Uh, these are the two main focus. These are the, the, one of the two stronger of the pillars of the is, Islamic faith. And in the prayer or in the salat, all Muslims, all Muslims uh, must pray five times a day. They pray an hour uh, before the sun rises, an hour after the sun has ri- risen, uh, in noon, and then an hour before the sun sets, and an hour after the sun has set. All Muslims must do this. There is a ritual. You have to do it exactly uh, like it was been passed down to them by their law or by their creed. And uh, each, each movement is called a raka and they have to do it exactly the same. And there are words that go with each movement. And again, uh, you have to do this uh, not because you're having a relationship with God or not because you're communing or communicating with God. But because these are regiment uh, commandments that have been given to you for you to do to gain uh, merit uh, for your salvation. Okay. Uh, Rose, would you like to share about women uh, about in their prayer? As one was saying, the, the more uh, merit you earn, the better it is. And uh, to pray in the mosque is a lot more merit than just praying at home. Even on the streets, a lot of times in Muslim countries, people will stop whatever they are doing to stop and pray at the time of prayer. And the time of prayer is announced uh, by loudspeaker all over the cities. So everyone knows when that time comes. But women are often excluded from that. In most countries, there is no space in a mosque for women. They are segregated. Sometimes they have a small room in a, in a separate location for women in a mosque. Oftentimes, women are not allowed at all. So obviously, if it's more merit for a woman to uh, receive... Uh, to pray in the mosque and she can't go there then she can't ever get enough merit in order to earn her way into paradise. So women often find an alternate route to that and that is going to the holy men. In most countries, especially in in South Asia, Afghanistan, uh, Pakistan, India, uh, historically there are men that were uh, like saints uh, and they are called the holy men and there is a shrine or a, a tomb Uh, located in different cities where these men are honored. And often it is the women that go to these places and offer prayers not to Allah or to Muhammad, but to these holy men. And then they believe that those men will be their mediators to God. So you see some of the difference between the men and the women. And uh, again, it's very difficult when you're looking at a religion that deals so much with works and with merits. Now we're going to go quickly through the, the pillars here. And uh, Ramadan, uh, this, is, uh, this is actually a month in the Muslim calendar. Uh, they, all Muslims, again, all Muslims are required to fast for 30 days during that month. Now they don't fast the whole 30 days. 
uh, they fast, they start fasting from when the sun rises to when the sun sets. But uh, during the fast time, it's very rigid. Not only are they not allowed to eat or drink, uh, but they're not allowed to smoke. Uh, they, they can't chew gum. Uh, anything that goes, that goes into their mouth, uh, they're not allowed uh, to inhale it. And some who, who keep uh, the fast very strictly uh, will not even swallow their saliva during this time. Again, they're doing this uh, to gain merit uh, before God. Uh, Ramadan, and then the following one is Zakat. This is almsgiving. Uh, this is uh, basically uh, their tithe. And again, it's, it's given in a certain time, a period, uh, in, in a month. Uh, of the Muslim calendar where a certain percentage uh, is given to um, needs in their community whether they're orphans or widows or uh, among the poor people uh, well we were living in Pakistan we had a bank account and uh, if you have a bank account in Pakistan uh, there's a certain period uh, where the government would go in and take a certain percentage of money that, that you had there in the bank and we're going to try to start doing that with our tithes and offerings by the way <laughs> So if you all bring, no, <laughs> See, sounds good to me. <laughs> and the, the last one is Hajj, which uh, means pilgrimage. And uh, again, all Muslims are required uh, to go on a pilgrimage to well, the, uh, not one of the most, but the holiest site uh, to all Muslim people. Uh, this is today in Saudi Arabia. The city is called Mecca. Uh, a lot of people ask me, well, what's, what is this black box? Well, it's, in Arabic, it is called uh, the Kaaba. And there in the Kaaba, uh, that's actually cloth. It's a tent that is, um, surrounds uh, one of the holiest uh, sites there for Muslims. And it's a rock. It's a black rock. Um, experts believe it's a meteor. And uh, it is something that was there before Muhammad, uh, before the foundation or when uh, Islam started. And it was really a site for pagan uh, worship uh, uh, pre-Islam. And when Muhammad uh, took over Mecca, uh, um, he was uh, uh, instituted that site as one of the holiest sites and said that uh, all Muslims must come there at least one time in their lifetime uh, to go and do this Pilgrimage, which is actually a very long, very big uh, ceremony. Uh, it's interesting, they uh, believe that Muhammad, uh, not Muhammad, that Abraham was the first uh, to go to Mecca and he actually uh, went and worshipped in that shrine. And they believe other uh, of the patriarchs went there as well. But uh, in, their, in their teaching, it was Abraham who first uh, instituted this as a site of worship. But uh, these again uh, are the pillars of. Uh, um, uh, that uh, all Muslims, these are the things that all Muslims must follow and must do. Uh, e- even though uh, during the Hajj, uh, many of them cannot afford it, uh, some countries elude money for them to be able to go there. Now with these uh, pillars, uh, there's o- other things, but uh, there are two major uh, <clears throat> uh, items or two major uh, importance in which all Muslims must follow. And, and uh, a lot of times uh, uh, they ask about uh, Muslims' holy book. And uh, we know it as, as the Quran. And, and the Quran is very holy because, see, this Quran was not created. Uh, the Quran uh, was, uh, uh, existed in heaven before creation. Uh, the Quran uh, is the expressive word of their God. And it's also a guiding principle. Now it's very interesting, especially when you talk to Muslim people, 
that they actually believe in four holy books. They believe in the Torah, Zabur, Injil, and then in the Quran. And uh, three out of the four books, uh, there are three books that we also believe in. And the Torah is really uh, the um, five first books of the Old Testament, of the Pentateuch. Zabur are the books of David or Psalms. The Injil are the Gospels. And these are the stories of Jesus Christ or the Gospels as we have them today. And all Muslims are required to believe in these books and to accept these books as holy books. And these, actually the Quran talks about uh, these books. Now, the other principle, a guiding principle in, in Islam is uh, their prophet Muhammad. And uh, the Quran and Muhammad are one of the holiest uh, of their understanding and that's why in many countries, in the countries that we have lived, uh, it is actually against the law to say anything negative or uh, anything that will bring suspicion to their prophet Muhammad or to the Quran. Here in this, um, in this slide, you, this is, you can see Muhammad and the angel Gabriel bringing in uh, the words of their God, of Allah, bringing, uh, which is the Quran, bringing in there to Muhammad. And... Uh, uh, we were very careful when we, when we share with Muslims and, and I, I, would, I would ask you to be careful that when you do share with Muslims or you're with your Muslim friends that uh, be careful what you say about Muhammad be careful what you say about the Quran uh, these things are very holy to them and uh, they take it very seriously now the, the Quran and Muhammad are the ones who are the guiding principles I'm going to sh uh, sh this next slide you've heard of the Sharia law you heard of the Sharia law uh, in some European countries are actually practicing this in some of the communities and we might someday see in some of the more stronger Islamic communities in our country where they want to bring this but there's no separation between church and state this is all the same to them mm -hmm. and uh, they are guided by the, what is written in the Quran which the pillars uh, these things are there and about Muhammad and things that are not clear in the Quran in Muhammad's life in his teaching and, and some of his practices and they, what they do is they, they, they take that information and these are the laws and practices and like I said there is no division between church and state so Islam governs all aspects of life it governs how they govern themselves as a government, uh, their economics, banks, how they institute loans and interests, and how they're going to govern uh, banking, uh, their finances, society, uh, how, what's society going to be like, what are the movies they can see, what are the movies that can, they will be shown in the movie theater, what are the programs on television, what type of music they're going to hear, all that is dictated by Islam or by the Quran and Muhammad. And then the last thing is the individual. What are you going to wear? How are you going to, uh, as your family, uh, how are you going to raise your children? What are, what are you going to eat? What are you going to practice? How are you going to look? And Rose is going to share a little bit about how that aspect, how Islam uh, guides uh, how women act in their society. As we were saying, there's uh, authority over every person in a Muslim country. And it doesn't just come from individual and it doesn't just come from the government. Uh, a woman, for example, is governed mainly in, within her family. When she's young, she's governed by her father. And when she's married, she's governed by her husband. That's within the home and the, the sort of decisions like whether she goes to school or not or what kind of career she's allowed to have. 
But even outside of the home, she's governed by society and the government pressures that are uh, within the, the out, outer uh, life that she lives. Uh, what kind of clothes she wears. Generally in Muslim countries, there are acceptable clothes for within the home and there are acceptable dress for without the home. Uh, for example, uh, when you saw women in Afghanistan with the full veil, that was only when they left their home. Within the home, there would be other things that they would wear. Uh, so these two uh, levels of authority impact every moment of a woman's day. And t- tell us a little bit about, more about how, how women... It was fascinating. You, you were talking to our, our, our other two congregations about the whole idea of marriage and love and all that kind of thing. How different a woman's position is in Islam than it is in the Western world. When we think of marriage, we tend to uh, think of our definition of marriage in their society. And actually, they're very different. Uh, Marriage in an Islamic country is a contract. And it's not a contract between the man and the woman. It's a contract between two families. Most marriages are arranged by the families. uh, And... The families are arranging a marriage not because necessarily that this will be a good marriage between this boy and this girl, but because of power and wealth, um, what kind of land is going to be accumulated, what this family is able to give me for my child. Those kind of decisions are what determines what man and what woman will be uh, engaged to each other. Uh, The marriage itself is not a, a relationship. It is there for children. Those children are going to provide more power for your family and your extended family. Most marriages are are arranged between cousins. And remember, you know, we think of our family with our two children and their two children. But these families are very large. So the realm that they choose from is very large. There's often hundreds of boys and girls that they consider when they're looking at their, their children to arrange a marriage. Even after the marriage, the relationship is very different. As we said, the main goal of the marriage is to create a a unit in society for power and for uh, the advancement of that family name. Uh, Boys are going to carry that on, girls aren't. So you think of the the issue of importance of, of male and female, it's all based on the power. So obviously they're going to prefer to have boys than girls. Girls are eventually going to leave the family when they get married and join that family. Boys are going to remain in the family, so they want to have boys. Uh, Even between a man and a woman, it's not a love relationship. It's a contract. And I was telling uh, the congregation earlier that I asked a woman once, uh, she was uh, describing a situation within her marriage, and she was a Christian woman who had converted from Islam. And I said, do you love your husband? And she looked at me like that was the most foreign concept she could ever imagine. Love was not something she would ever consider when she thought about her husband. It was just a different idea. And that's not just in, in Afghanistan or Iraq or Iran and all those Islam countries that we think of. Because I, I know I have Muslim neighbors and they arrange the, the marriages for their children, even here in the United States. So again, it, it's a whole different concept. It's a whole different understanding of the family unit than what we have in, in Christianity or in, or in Western civilizations. Okay. Now I want to just drive home because this is fascinating to me and, and I think I, we want to understand this idea of points. And we talked about keeping the points as the way to get to paradise. How exactly does a Muslim think that they're going to get to paradise or what we call heaven? That's right. Well, um, one of the, they, their view again is a religion of works. 
and uh, of, of continuing to do the rituals and doing it uh, in, in a very precise way as we looked about prayer. When they go on the Hajj, there are precise things, areas that they have to visit, ways that they have to dress, foods that they have to eat. And, and it's very rigid and by keeping these things, uh, you receive reward. Uh, I mentioned about uh, the prayer. Uh, that uh, as, uh, as you do the prayer, you have to do it specifically, but sometimes you might miss a prayer. You, you have to do five prayers a day, but something happened, you didn't wake up early in the morning, uh, you were busy in the afternoon, and, and uh, you, you, you didn't do your prayer. Well, what's going to happen? Well, you can make up your prayer. Uh, you can do an extra prayer that day or the next day and, and make it up. Well, why? Well, because their view, uh, they see a scale, and actually they teach this, and they, they teach that there's an angel, and he's holding up a scale. And it's showing the good works and the bad works. And you know, these are, and when I say about good works, is, uh, you know, here you have a scale uh, that shows, okay, I, he's doing his prayer, he's fasted, uh, he's done all these things that has been commanded to him to do. And here are the areas where he missed. Uh, he might miss, he missed a prayer, or he ate something while during the, the period of fast, or he didn't go on uh, the, the pilgrimage. And uh, basically, it's, 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 it's weighing this out. And uh, when you die, uh, this scale is going to be shown to you. And uh, many Muslims, uh, sometimes we joke around as we share, and I, and, and I ask, well, uh, uh, are you going to heaven? Uh, are, are, are you sure? Do you have assurance? They say, we well, don't know. Because it's according to this scale uh, of what we have done and what we have not done. And Muslims feel like they have missed out more so it's leaning toward more of uh, not of the works uh, or their failure to do what they've been told to do um, and way more in that area where it's lacking and this is even what they think of Muhammad himself exactly uh, uh, if you ever do use the word Muhammad if you're in, especially if you're with uh, more of a, a conservative Muslim uh, you'll hear him say uh, when you say the word Muhammad or when they say Muhammad they'll say peace be upon him and I've asked them and asked them, I said, well, what do you mean by that? See, because what they're going to express to you is that they don't have assurance that even Muhammad, the greatest prophet, is in heaven. And the, another fascinating thing I learned just from talking to you guys about this, and, and I know we've got some questions coming up and we'll get to these questions here in a second, but understand that the, the points that count for paradise is not necessarily ethical behavior or moral behavior. It's the observance of the five pillars. That's correct. And uh, Rose, you shared a fascinating story with me about the English school that you guys illustrate that point. Yes, when we were working in Afghanistan, we had an English school for adults, and uh, we often reached, were in a situation where our students were cheating. And uh, it's important to understand that for a Muslim, it's the end result or the goal that is the important thing. The end result for them at that point was to receive an A in the class. And they would do anything to get that A. They would bribe a teacher, they would cheat on a test, they would copy from another student an assignment. Anything at all that we would find morally unacceptable was okay. Because what they were trying to do is reach that end goal. And again, that's why uh, the reports of many of the terrorists who flew the airplanes into the, uh, the, the, the towers that the night before they were at strip clubs and, and, and things like that because the moral behavior is not necessarily what is going to be evaluated for their entrance into paradise. That's now also, and the question came up here a moment ago, let's get to that. Paradise for men and women are two different things. That, exactly, that's correct. And, what, and uh, talking about what you're saying, you know, our... Do Muslims ever have assurance that they're going to go to paradise? And yes, uh, those who strip bombs, to put bombs 
uh, on themselves and walk into a crowded room and blow people up or those men uh, who uh, flew the airplanes into the Twin Towers uh, they have full assurance according to Islamic teaching that they're going to go to paradise and these are martyrs uh, whether they uh, die for the cause of, uh, of Muhammad, of, of, of Islam uh, or where they die at war uh, fighting those who are non-believers uh, they will be given full access to go into paradise now uh, there are some questions here about paradise and about women and men but first uh, you know please be careful because when we identify or we're going to define what we understand to be heaven and paradise they're two completely different things and we're going to be sharing about that but um, uh, so it's not the same and when Muslims tell you well heaven and paradise no they're really different and I, Rose will share about the aspect about women and I'll be sharing about the, what men see or what they are looking forward to seeing in, in the Islamic teaching on paradise well basically uh, their picture of paradise is to be allowed to do all of those things that they were not allowed to do on earth so uh, paradise is a very sensual place it is a place where you receive those kind of rewards and a lot of those rewards are not those uh, for women uh, the Quran is, does not describe any kind of rewards that a woman would appreciate it's, it's a, a very male uh, focused um, paradise so the Quran does not mention uh, a paradise for women it mentions women in paradise but it gives no description of that kind of thing uh, so it's you don't there is nothing for a woman to say wow I'm going to do all this good stuff and I'm going to work really hard for my God so that I obtain this it's also not a place where you are in communion with God to worship and to praise and, and relate to him it is just a place of what's, what are seemingly earthly or worldly uh, pleasures now there's a misunderstanding a lot of people uh, Christians uh, believe that um, these versions that you hear about men having in, in the Islamic paradise uh, that they, these are women maybe, men, maybe they're Muslim women that have gone to heaven now they're going to be the slaves to these men well no not really there's a place for women to be in paradise uh, the Quran their holy book teaches about that as we're not, we don't have a lot of information it's not very clear but they, if they're good they will go they will enter uh, paradise but the men paradise uh, for example these versions uh, they're, they're created beings they're like angels uh, they're called huris and uh, these men uh, have access to these versions uh, they also have other pleasures uh, they have all the wine even though they can't drink wine here they can drink wine in heaven they'll have all these fruits and uh, they'll be in these beautiful tents with beautiful silk carpets and silk pillows and it, it's very uh, materialistic uh, they're not looking at being in heaven to being with the creator they're not looking at having a relationship with God but they're looking at the rewards and the rewards are very materialistic very sensational uh, rewards that they're looking forward to well as we prepare uh, quickly to transition into how to actually reach out in our faith to them a uh, question popped up through why is this important to discuss in a Christian church why should we be having this discussion in a Christian church today right well uh, you know uh, we're told uh, to go and preach the gospel to all the nations and Islam ha happens to be of a very big nation uh, it is of the, uh, the uh, sons of Abraham and uh, through Ishmael and um, it's, if we look throughout the scriptures we're going to see that there are going to be Arabs uh, in the millennium kingdom mm -hmm. so they're going to make it there 
Uh, they're they're going to be there and worshiping God. And we look in Revelation uh, 5.9 and we're going to see that all nations are going to be bowing before uh, the Lamb of God. Well, how are they going to get there? Well, it's by preaching the gospel uh, to Muslim people. And as, as I mentioned earlier, uh, why, why should we care? Why should we understand of what they believe? Well, because we want to communicate to them uh, with wisdom. And as it says in 1 Peter uh, chapter 3, verse 15, that we ought to be ready to share, to communicate the message of Christ in love. And again, uh, us understanding what they believe, we can build bridges instead of walls to be able to communicate the truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, in, uh, in 1 uh, Timothy, we're told that it is the desire of God that all men know God, know Him. Again, how are they going to do it? Well, it's through us. Uh, through us communicating the gospel of love in truth to all people. Which Jesus himself did when he was here. But Jesus was always sensitive in how he did that. Exactly. He understood who the person was, where they were coming from. And so that's why we're doing what we're doing today. So that we have an understanding. So that we don't just go pounding into a door and start thumping people with a Bible and telling them, you know, you've got to believe in Jesus or you're going to die and go to hell. You know, because it's going to have the exact opposite impact on them. So let's do that segue. And I know we're running out of time and time is of the essence as, as we kind of get into, how, okay, how can we, what do we do to... To, uh, to go across this vast chasm between Christianity and Islam. That's right. How do we make that jump? Can, can we move to that slide that we have? Absolutely. Uh, uh, there we go. Okay, approach to peaceful witness. Now, this peaceful witness, uh, you know, exclamation mark here, uh, that, um, again, you know, are, are we going to attack their faith? Are we going to attack their books? Are we going to attack uh, their prophet? Or are we going to build bridges and being able to communicate God's truth to the people? And one of the things that we'd like to do is um, uh, look at some important points uh, to consider when we, when we look at how, how do we build these bridges and how do we open these doors to communicate to Muslim people. And these, these are just some uh, very basic points that really help us to understand and to build these bridges. Rose, can you share on, on the planting seeds? Yes, it, it's interesting that uh, when you're speaking to a Muslim... Uh, some of our own cultural uh, barriers come into play. And that is, in America, we're taught as children that there are three things you're not allowed to talk about with another American. You're not allowed to talk about money or politics or religion. Those are the three things that Muslims love to talk about. So even though, you know, you walk up to somebody or uh, I'm a parent and we often meet other parents in a sports team or something, it's very difficult to break down that barrier and to reach out to someone and share your faith. But to a Muslim, that's an ordinary kind of thing. They love for you to tell them about who you, who you believe in and what your faith means to you. This is an ordinary conversation. They don't have such strict uh, circles that they live in. All of life is together. Their faith, their life, their daily uh, activities are all in one. And they would love to hear how uh, your faith has impacted you. What difference has it made? And that's the, the very first thing to do, not to tell them about the gospel, but to tell your own experience. Exactly. And, and because Islam is not a religion to them. It's a lifestyle. Exactly. It, it's their existence. Exactly. And so they're interested in how all this applies to all of life. Right. But I, I do want to uh, point out, because it's so important, the gender restrictions of doing this. Right. Yes, it, um, as we were saying earlier, generally speaking, men talk to men and women talk to women. In a, in a Muslim society, 
women almost entirely interact with women. Men almost entirely interact with men. So it's important that you either address uh, a Muslim family as a family, or if you uh, see a Muslim woman, woman, you talk to them as a woman and a man to a man. You don't want to be um, talking to, as a man especially, you don't want to be speaking to a Muslim woman. Number one, she probably won't talk to you. But number two, her husband could get extremely upset with you. So uh, try to reach out on a gender appropriate level. That's right. And you know, the, the, when we talk about planting seeds, we don't have to give them the four spiritual laws right away. Again, we don't have to be experts on what they believe. Uh, but uh, we're, think of it as a process and this is where friendship comes they, they really, they're really seeking genuine faith uh, they, they uh, uh, have grown up in a religion that is uh, what you're doing uh, how are you acting and everybody's looking at that but they really want to see a belief a genuine faith and many times uh, they look at Christianity and by the way they think that Europe and all of America is Christian and uh, they, they see what's coming out of our nation, uh, uh, what comes out of our TV programs, our magazines, uh, what comes out of Hollywood. And, and uh, they're saying, is this Christianity? And you know, part of our ministry and part of your contact with your friends, uh, Muslim friends, is kind of taking away some of these uh, stereotypes that they already have about Christianity. But they want to see genuine faith. They want to see people that not only say that they believe in this religion or in this God or in this prophet, but that it has impacted their lives, impacted their lives in such a way that has changed their lives and, and, it, and it controls their life. So when they, when they see somebody that not only just reads the scriptures, but also obeys what's in the scriptures, they say, wow, this, this, this is... This is true faith. This is true religion. And how can they see it? It's a process by building these friendships uh, with the Muslim people. And again, you know, lifestyle, uh, how we live our lives. You know, if, if, if we're saying that uh, we're Christians and then, you know, we go to church on Sunday and we go out and, you know, live unchristian life, they will see that. Because they see that in among their own people. And they're looking for genuine faith. Uh, among the people uh, that are saying they have the, the true faith. Uh, and another thing is about going back to the women thing. Uh, if you do, a lot, a lot of women come up to me and say, you know, I have a Muslim friend and, and uh, how I, I want to share with them about their faith, about our faith. Uh, don't bring them to church. Uh, uh, it, make it into a process in which, you know, you build these friendships uh, the women would love to go and have coffee or tea with you. If there's an opportunity to study the Bible, study the Bible with them. But we call that, don't extract them from their families. We, we want uh, to see their faith grow. And if they do become believers, uh, we want to see their faith grow in their families. Because what we've seen in our experience is that God's not just leading individuals. Uh, in America, we're very individualistic. God saves this one person. They're a society. Uh, they're a family. And what we're seeing is that God is bringing families to Christ, and not just individuals. There was a question that popped up, and, 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 and we're going to have to kind of come to a close, and there's always questions, and we just don't have enough time, and, and I wish we had more. But the question came up is that would they, a Muslim think that just believing in Jesus is too simple? And without directly answering the question, uh, knowing what we've talked about before, I think what we don't understand is that they have a lot more respect for the name Jesus than we think they do. And so how, what in your experience of Muslims who have responded to faith in Christ, uh, 
What has been the thing that they've responded to? Right. Well, uh, one thing has been that faith in us, that love of Christ, Christ in us. That's what Paul says. Our hope of glory in Colossians, he talks about Christ being in you. They can see that. And that attracts them. And we've gotten so many stories that we, if we had time to tell you how Muslims have been attracted through individual people's faith in Jesus Christ and they see something different in them. I remember my students would say, you know, what is it? What, what, we see something different in you than, than any of our other teachers that we're seeing at the university. What is it? And of course, it's Jesus Christ in us. To see Christ. Uh, another thing is uh, that... Um, that we've seen that really strikes them is um, that you can have a relationship with God. Uh, that is so foreign to the Muslim people. One of their greatest scholars uh, said that Muslims cannot sense forgiveness of sin and they cannot understand an experiencing God. Those are the two things. And those are two things that we can give to them. Rose? One other uh, very foreign concept to them is that we have a God of love. We have a God who loves us. We have a God that we can love. Um, and as one was saying, it's that relationship. God asks us to be His children. To them, that is a, a very difficult concept. But it's something that they're looking for. Their God is, is separate from them. Their God is un-understandable. Uh, he's somewhere out there that's going to make their fate, uh, the decisions of, uh, about their life, where they're born, whether they're poor or rich, that's all based on God and, and His whims. Well, let's make this one poor, let's make this one rich. But there's no relationship, there's no love there. God doesn't even base His decisions in their mind on love or on your good. It's just on His whim. We have such a wonderful God who wants to commune with us and relate to us and wants us to have a relationship with Him. And as you said, one of the, the places to take them in the Bible is the Gospels. That's right, yeah. Uh, there are two things that I want to leave with all Muslims that I meet, even if I meet them in a convenience store or I'm out in the Himalaya mountains or in the mountains in Afghanistan. I want them to see the greatness of Jesus Christ. Uh, they believe in Christ, they believe He's a Messiah, but it's, it's been warped, it's been changed. And in, uh, in their holy book, in the Quran, it, it talks about the greatness of Jesus Christ. And I point that out, that he was, they believe he was born of a virgin birth. And uh, I show these things of the greatness and point to, to Jesus Christ. Point the Muslim people to Christ. And the, and the second thing is to know more about Christ and where can you do that? Well, of course, it's in the Gospels. And um, one of the things that uh, really shocks them is the Beatitudes. And they'll read this and it's, it's something that they've never seen before. Why? Because uh, here Jesus is speaking about that is beyond the law. It's, it has to do with internal things. It has to do with issues of the heart. How I think and, and how I see God and then how I relate. How it extends externally. Not just by doing these practices but how I relate to God and how I relate to other people. And it's a shock in their system. And I have a... Uh, we have a very good friend that was a Muslim, a Pakistani. He became a Christian. He's an author now. Goes around speaking about how to witness to Muslim people. And uh, one of the things that uh, the way he came to know Christ was because somebody gave him a gospel. Either the gospel of Matthew or of Luke. And when he read that, it just, it was a shock in his system. It was beyond what he could understand of the teachings of Jesus Christ. It is, it is foreign to Islam. And what they're really hoping for 
is forgiveness. It's a foreign concept, but that's what's so attractive when you find out that, that there is a forgiveness, an offer of forgiveness, and that God wants to not just uh, be appeased, but actually to have relationship with Him. But again, that's not just through, through theology, and it's just not through our doctrine and our church. It's through our lifestyle. Uh, that's what we have received, and we evidence that. We don't evidence religion. We evidence relationship. I wish we had more time because I know there's a thousand questions that we didn't get to. And what we're going to try to do is put those on our website. And Juan has graciously and Rose agreed to look at some of those and we'll try to put some responses on our website that you can go to and check out the answers to some of those questions. But would you thank me, or thank me, thank Juan and Rose with me for being here today and sharing with us. Thanks for listening. Here at Florida Bible Church, we believe the first and most important step in life's journey is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So the question is, how about you? If you haven't started this relationship, you can use this model prayer. Jesus, I do want to begin a relationship with you. I know that I have sinned against you and cannot save myself. So right now, I ask for your forgiveness of all my sins and I accept you as my personal Savior, believing that you die on the cross and pay for all my sins. Forgive me now, and please give to me your precious gift of eternal life. Amen. You can find this prayer along with more detailed information on our website at www.floridabible.org. Just click the beginning a relationship with Jesus button. There you will also learn more about us and find the next steps for a Christ follower. Thanks again for listening to Living Life with Purpose.